You're listening to the Benton Heights Presbyterian Church Podcast. We hope this message brings you encouragement and helps to build your faith in Jesus. We're glad you're here to listen to this message from Pastor Paul. We are back in the Gospel of John, and today is one of the more difficult passages. Jesus is going to tell a group of Jews in a synagogue in Capernaum, eat my flesh, drink my blood. These are folks that don't even eat pork, let alone people. (laughs) We're going to cover way too much text. There may be some pieces in here that are going to be offensive. It's going to be complicated. And you decided to come today to church. Thank you. You're welcome. Hey, next in this text is Jesus basically teaching the same thing three different ways. So first, it's Jesus to the crowds. I remember earlier in John 6, when we were last in John 6, Jesus fed 5,000 men plus women and children by the miracle of multiplying a little boy's lunch. He then sends the disciples in a boat across the Sea of Galilee. He follows soon afterwards, not in a boat, but walking on water. And then he and the disciples reach the other side where the people, the crowd, have followed Here's where John chapter 6 picks up the story. Then some boats from Tiberias landed near the place where the people had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. Once the crowd realized that neither Jesus nor his disciples were there, they got into the boat and went to Capernaum in search of Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus answered, very truly I tell you, you are looking for me. Not because you saw the signs and performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. They got free food. Do not work for food that spoils, he continues, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him God the Father has placed his seal of approval. Then they asked him, what must we do to do the works God requires? Jesus answered, The work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. So they asked him, what sign then will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? They continued, our ancestors ate manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, very truly I tell you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, always give us this bread. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. But as I told you, you have seen me, and still you do not believe. All those the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. For I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of all of those he's given me, but raise them up at the last day. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in Him shall have eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. This is the first of three sections. Let me tell you about people, about Jesus, and how people have a relationship with Jesus. Number one, when it comes to people, 
More people care about their body and life than they do their soul and eternal life. They get food from Jesus that nourishes their body. They get bread. They love that. Then Jesus says, well, let's talk about your soul and not just your life, but your eternal life. And they're like, well, we're not really interested. We want the bread that feeds our bodies, but we don't want the teaching. We want our bodies to survive, but soul, come on. We want you to improve our life. We really don't want to worry about eternal life. You know, so today you got up. And part of your getting ready, you brush teeth, you put on deodorant, I hope. You did something with your hair like I always do. You looked in the mirror and you kind of asked, okay, am I ready for the day? Well, did you prepare your soul? Do you prepare your soul every day as you do your body? That means time in God's presence, time in prayer. That is your inner life being ready for your outer life to live. And so they're super excited for the bread for the body, but they're not super excited for the instruction for the soul. How about you? Because God wants you to have both. Number two, most people are bandwagon fans. There are thousands who will say, we love Jesus. And you'll see by the end, they all walk away. They give up following and pursuing Jesus. It's like they decide, you know, as long as the Jesus thing is working for me, I'm in. But as the minute that the Jesus thing isn't working for me, I'm out. How many of you are sports fans? You go to local sports teams, and what you realize is not everybody at those games are fans of the Panthers or the Hornets. Why is that? Because they've moved here from other places. So not every single fan is a fan of the home team, just like not every person is a fan of the Jesus team. And number three, most people already have enough evidence to believe in Jesus. From our text, the people ask Jesus this very peculiar question, what sign do you do that we may see and believe? <laughs> Look what he's already done. He has turned what we've seen in John so far. He has turned water into wine. He has healed a man who's been an invalid for 38 years. He has just fed 5,000 men plus women and children. So we may be talking 15 to 20,000 people with a boy's lunch. He then sends his disciples out across the lake. They're rowing. How did Jesus get across the lake? He walks on water. Any one of those should be ample evidence besides the fact that he keeps telling them, I'm God, I've come down from heaven. The point is, most people have enough evidence to believe who Jesus is. They just keep asking for more. For some of you, Jesus has answered your questions. He's shown up in your life. He has surrounded you with godly people. He's given you opportunity to read his word. He's done a lot of good in your life. There's nothing more that he needs to do to prove himself to you. You just need to decide, what are you going to do with all this revelation that he's already given? And number four, a lot of people won't believe even if he showed up. Here's what Jesus says, you have seen me and yet you do not believe. 
They have heard Jesus say over and over, I'm God. They had to wonder, okay, how did he get across the lake? Because we didn't see him leaving a boat. They had just eaten their fill of a little boy's lunch. It's all there. They, they just don't believe. And sometimes it's not because God isn't showing up. It's because you haven't responded. See, a relationship takes two people. And if you don't have a relationship with Jesus, it isn't that Jesus doesn't want the relationship. It's that you don't. He's pursuing you and you're not responding to him. Jesus said, I have come down from heaven. I have done miracles. I am doing teachings. And you still do not believe and who I am. I want you to know how good God is and how stubborn people are. There are going to be people who even see him rise from death who are not going to believe in him. Let me tell you some other things about Jesus that we've seen in this text. There have been four titles so far given for him. The first one was rabbi, which means teacher. And that means if Jesus is teacher, you and I are student. To be a good student requires a posture of humility. We need to be teachable. Jesus has a lot to teach everyone. And you know, one of the things that makes it impossible for us to learn is pride. It's when we would rather argue with the teacher than to listen to the teacher. Another title, Jesus calls himself son of man. It's his most favorite designation for himself. It occurs some 70 times in the gospel. It comes from Daniel 7, written hundreds of years before Jesus was ever born. And in it, it says that the son of man would come from God, the father, that he would be God as a human being entering into human history, walking on the earth, establishing a kingdom that is over all kingdoms. And this one will never end. It's the revelation that Jesus is King of kings and Lord of lords. And when he says, I am the son of man, what he's telling them is everything that you have longed for, everything that you have hoped for is now fulfilled in me. Jesus also says, I am the bread of life. There are seven I am statements in John. This is the first point is this. Their primary sustenance for their diet was bread. That to nourish your body and extend your life required bread, food. And what Jesus is saying is that you need more than just bread. You need the bread of life. He's using this analogy saying, that, you know, every day you, you get up and you make bread and you break bread. And that alone is not sufficient. It might extend your earthly life, but it does not grant you eternal life. And then he says he is the son of God, a massive claim that other religions would find offensive. Jesus is saying that he is of the same authority, has the same attributes, the same power and glory as God the Father. Other religions would say, no, Jesus is not the son of God. Jesus would say, actually, I am. So how do you have a relationship with Jesus Jesus is teaching, and the people start asking. Here it is again. Then they asked him, here's verse 28, what must we do to do the works God requires? Here's the issue. God is in heaven, we are on earth. What do we do to connect? 
God is good. We're not so good. <laughs> what do we do to connect? God is creator. We are created. What do we do to connect? So they come to Jesus and they ask, okay, you want us to be connected to God. What work do we need to do? What things do we need to do? Jesus, give us the list. And we will do the things on the list. And once we have completed the list, we'll have a relationship with God. That's typically referred to as works. Every religion except Christianity is based on the premise of works, that you've got to do something in order to have a relationship with God. So some religions teach you've got to die and reincarnate and suffer and pay off your karmic debt and pay God back. Others will say you've got to have your good deeds outweigh your bad deeds. And you just hope you've done enough good to outweigh that bad, so then maybe God will be pleased with you. Others say, well, you got to join their religion, give this amount of money, you got to make a pilgrimage. It's all about works. Let me ask you a trick question. Are Christians saved by works? Yes or no? The answer is actually yes and no. <laughs> no in that we're not saved by our works. But yes, when it comes to to the terms of Jesus's works. We are all saved by works, just not ours. It's what Jesus has done. So other, um, the religious question that's the wrong question is this, what do we need to do? The right question is what needs to be done? Jesus needs to do his work. He lived without sin, you and I have not. He goes to the cross and dies for our sin. And then he, when he dies on the cross, says, it is finished. All of the work that needed to be done for salvation has been done. The truth is, something needs to be done to connect us with God. The answer is that it's not in us. It's what Jesus has already done. And then Jesus answered them. The work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. You know how you make it to heaven? You say, I'm with Jesus. You don't pull out your resume. That's not going to do you any good. You say, I'm with Jesus. I trust him. He did the work. He lived without sin. He died in my place for my sins. He rose in my place for my salvation. I trust in him. He did the work. And when he said it is finished, it was finished. Once you belong to Jesus, you do works. But the difference is you are not saved by your works. You are saved to do works. So when you're walking with Jesus, you do things, not so that you can have a relationship with him, but because you have a relationship with him. In Ephesians 2, 8 through 10, the Apostle Paul says that we are saved by, by grace through Jesus Christ, who has good works prepared in advance for us to do. Jesus saves you so that you can have a life of a relationship with him. And then you don't do your works in order to get a relationship. You do your works because you have that relationship. They don't understand this. 
What must we do, they ask. Jesus, in effect, says, trust in me, believe in me. And what he's saying about this relationship are three things. It has to do with salvation, satisfaction, and security. Salvation. He uses the word eternal life with that phrase. And eternal life begins not the day you die. You see, there's this great misconception that says, oh, once you die, you get eternal life. No. Eternal life begins the day you meet Jesus. And then it carries on forever. Eternal life extends beyond the grave, but it begins here in this life. This is why I want you to love Jesus today and know Jesus today and pursue Jesus today and walk with Jesus today. Not only does he save you from death and hell, he saves you from yourself and bad decisions that you make in this life. Jesus gives salvation. He also gives satisfaction. He says, you will not hunger or thirst. Now, our bodies need constant provision, right? I mean, you eat after this service. You probably already got it planned out, where I'm going to go, where I'm going to eat. And if he stops talking, I'll go eat. Guess what? You got a while. So you eat. But then what's going to happen a little later? You're going to get hungry. You're going to have to eat again. Because our bodies continuously need provision because they're never satisfied. Jesus is saying, the satisfaction I give is so deep, so enduring, so significant that you will not hunger or thirst again. Once you receive me, you will be satisfied. You will have no other need for your inner life. See, the problem is some of us have been feeding our souls on something other than Jesus. And what you find eventually is that you will continue to hunger and thirst. Maybe for some of you, it was a relationship. You thought, okay, I got that relationship. Now, now that's it until it fades. Once I get a job, Once I get healthy, once I get to the next stage in life, people are so dissatisfied because they're trying to fill their inner need with someone or something other than Jesus, and he alone is the one who satisfies that need. How many of you can testify that once you meet Jesus, no one is like Jesus? No one does what Jesus does. No one satisfies like Jesus satisfies. And then there's security. Jesus gives security in this relationship. He says two things here. He says, I will not drive away. And he says, I will lose nothing, no one. Jesus won't lose you. Some of you may say, but I've run away. Well, guess what? He's really fast. (laughs) He'll get you. There's a question that's often asked, and it's this. Can a Christian lose their salvation? That's the wrong question. The question is, can Jesus lose a Christian? No. The Bible says that even when we are faithless, he is faithful. If you truly belong to Jesus, he is not going to lose you. And then he says, he will not drive you away. Some of you have been rejected. 
Maybe your dad walked out on you. Maybe your parents disowned you. Your boss fired you. The person you were dating dumped you. Your spouse divorced you. Some of you have experienced a tremendous amount of relational rejection. You come to Jesus, and you're almost a little fearful and skittish. You know, every other relationship did not end well. It ended in rejection. Well, what about this one? And Jesus says, I will not cast you aside. I will not turn you away. There is no one like Jesus Jesus will not reject you. If you come to him, he will not turn his face. Jesus then continues this discussion, not only with the crowd, but also with the people in the synagogue, which is their version of the church. So this is John 6, beginning back at verse 41. At this, the Jews were there. The Jews there began to grumble. Now, here, I can't help but picture in my mind Walter from Jeff Dunham. Arms crossed, crotchety old man. <laughs> I guess you could say I've seen the act. <laughs> um, it's interesting because in the Old Testament, God gave them manna in the wilderness every day. And what did the people do? They grumbled. Just so you know, grumbling is not a spiritual gift. Write that down. At this, the Jews began, go back one, one more slide before that. The Jews began to grumble about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How can he now say, I came down from heaven? <laughs> Stop grumbling among yourselves, Jesus answered. No one can come to me. Unless the Father who sent me draws them, and I will raise them up at the last day. It is written in the prophets, he says, they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard the Father and learned from him comes to me. No one has seen the Father except the one who is from God. Only he has seen the Father. Very truly, I tell you, the one who believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate manna in the wilderness, and they died. But here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which anyone may eat and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. The Jews began to argue sharply among themselves, how can this man give us flesh to eat? I mean, like what weird cult are we in? Jesus said to them, very truly I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life and I will raise them up at the last day. He says it again. He keeps saying it. For my flesh is real food. My blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in them just as the living Father sent me and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. He's talking about himself. Your ancestors ate manna and died, but whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. He said this while teaching in the synagogue in Capernaum. <laughs> this is in church. So a couple of more things about Jesus and, and you. Number one, most people complain and grumble too much. And social media has not fixed that, amen? 
And Jesus is not going to change what he's saying just because people are complaining about what he's saying. Number two, sometimes you can get too familiar with Jesus. You're like, you know, I've gone to Sunday school ever since I was a little kid. I did all the youth stuff, camps, conferences, Bible studies into adulthood. I think I need to expand my horizons, branch out in my spiritual instruction, and just kind of move beyond this Jesus stuff. In other words, you think you know everything about Jesus, what he has to offer. Yeah, you know, he was the popular thing when I was younger. Truth is, you really don't know who Jesus is. That was their problem. Number three, there are parts of the Bible that are going to confuse you. They find this confusing. These are Jesus' words, and they are confused. Sometimes it's difficult to understand God's word because you don't like what it says. Sometimes it's just difficult because it's just difficult. They are going to need to listen, pray, consider. They need to decide whether or not they're going to trust Jesus even when they don't fully understand Jesus. How many of you are in a season of life that you don't fully understand what God is trying to say to you or or do or want you to do and, and you need to trust him? That's the position they find themselves in. All right, let's address this phrase of Jesus, eat my flesh, drink my blood. Should we take that literally? No. Should we take the Bible literally? Well, yeah, there are two ways to explain literal. One is plain literal. The other is figurative literal. Let me, you know, can, using a figure of speech, can I still convey a literal truth? Yeah. So what if I came up to you and said, I'm hungry. I want to eat now. That's plain literal. I want to eat now. I'm hungry. But what if I came up to you and said, I'm so hungry I could eat a horse? (laughs) That's figurative, literal. I'm hungry. It still means I want to eat now. They're using a figure of speech. The Bible does that as well. I'll give you an example. Near the end of his earthly life, as Jesus is approaching Jerusalem for the last time, he is on a hill and he's overlooking that capital city. And he says, O Jerusalem. I have longed to gather you to myself as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. Is Jesus a chicken? (laughs) No. (laughs) What he's communicating is a literal truth. It's a figure of speech. Eat my flesh, drink my blood. Same thing. Figure of speech. It speaks of a a literal truth of receiving him, accepting him, knowing him, loving him. So Jesus has talked to the crowd. The disciples are there. Now he turns his attention just to them. We continue on with our reading. On hearing it, many of his disciples said, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? Aware that his disciples were grumbling about this, Jesus said to them, does this offend you? You know what? Jesus still offends people. I don't like that he said this. Then what if you see the Son of Man ascend to where he was before? So Jesus is saying, not only have I come down from heaven, but I'm going to go back up there as well. 
He says, the spirit gives life. The flesh counts for nothing. The words I have spoken to you, they are full of the spirit and life. Yet there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus had known from the beginning which of them did not believe and who would betray him. Who's that? That's Judas. He went on to say, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless the Father has enabled them. From this time, many of his disciples turned back, no longer followed him. You do not want, oh, sorry, this is where you know, they're saying, you know, I'm, I'm out. <laughs> um, I, I did the Jesus thing for a while. Love the free bread. <laughs> but you start asking me to change, you know, from the inside. Nah, I'm out. You do not want to leave too, do you, Jesus asked the 12. Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. You've come to save us. There is no one else. There is no other hope. We have come to believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. Then Jesus replied, have I not chosen you, the 12? Yet one of you is a devil. He meant Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, who, though one of the 12, was later to betray him. Okay, a couple more things about the Bible and about us. Number one, sometimes the word of God is hard to understand. Peter later wrote two books of the Bible, the New Testament that bear his name. And one of the things he says in there is that some parts of scripture are hard to understand. And he mentions the apostle Paul by name. So here's what I would tell you. If you don't understand it, study it. Keep walking with Jesus. Eventually he'll give you understanding. Sometimes in this life, certainly in eternal life. In 2 Corinthians 5, 7, the Apostle Paul says, we live by faith, not by sight. That means there are going to be some things that you may have to come away from going, I don't get it yet. Number two, the word of God can be offensive. The reason? Because sometimes we disagree with it. And we think the Bible needs to change. And God says, no, actually, you need to change and that's why I sent the Bible the Bible is not something we are to change the Bible is something God uses to change us and number three the word of God cannot be understood apart from the spirit of God the Holy Spirit inspired the writing of scripture through human authors and the Holy Spirit is the one who truly brings the right understanding of what the Bible says and of what Jesus does what this means is that there is nothing wrong with having a high IQ, but the key to understanding God's word is not in your intellect, it's in your heart. You can't analyze it to death. So sometimes when you read the Bible, you just need to pray, Holy Spirit, teach me. And when you feel like grumbling, you really need to pray. And when you feel like walking away, you really need to run to Jesus. You see, what Jesus really wants is a relationship with you. It's about Christ in you. That's the big concept here. And there are three responses. There's the response of the people who internally do not want a relationship with Jesus. And as a result, you can see it externally because they leave. Is that you? You've tried the Jesus thing. You're not feeling it. You're out. You're out. 
A second response comes from Judas. Judas is not overt, he's covert. If you were to look at him, does it look like Judas is walking with Jesus? Yeah, it does. I mean, he's literally walking with Jesus. He's one of the 12. But what it shows you is that you can do things internally and have no relationship. You can do things externally and have no relationship with Jesus internally. Covert people are sneaky, dishonest. Jesus is teaching. Judas listens. Internally, does Judas love Jesus? Does he have a relationship with Jesus? No. How many of you have been like the crowd? You've walked away, and maybe that's not you because you're here. But maybe you know people like this. And what I would say is God loves you. He's not done with you. He's not given up on you. How many of you are like Judas? I'll go to church, but I'm not feeling it. I'll do the outside thing, but I'm not going to do the inside thing. What's amazing is that Judas is still going to be loved on by Jesus for at least a couple more years. Jesus knows what's in Judas's heart and he's still going to love him and serve him because God is patient and good and kind and relational. We talked about this Thursday a week ago. You'll see it again later in John. Jesus goes to wash his disciples' feet. Jesus washes Judas's feet. That means that there's going to come a point where Jesus is going to kneel down, look Judas straight in the eyes, and say, Judas, I love you. I'm going to serve you. And in Judas's heart, he doesn't want to have anything to do with Jesus. My friends, if you don't want a relationship with Jesus, it's not because Jesus has done something wrong. It's because there's something wrong in your heart. But I'm here to tell you, it's not too late. Jesus is wanting a relationship with you. And the third response comes from Peter. Speaking on behalf of the other disciples, he says, we believe in you. We trust you. We're going to walk with you. Walking with Jesus means you're going to have some hard days. They did. It means you're going to have some questions. They did. It means you're going to be offended. They were. And a true disciple of Jesus says, despite the hard day, despite the difficult questions, despite the offenses, I'm walking with Jesus because I trust him. And I may not understand everything he's doing, but I know he's awesome. And I want a relationship with him. And he's eventually going to show me all that he's up to. And that's the Christian life. We hope you enjoyed the message. You can connect with us on Instagram, Facebook, our website, bhprez.org, and subscribe to our YouTube channel to stay up to date on all our latest content.